We read from God's Word from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. These words. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And all you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, or your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. You will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you might live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you do not know. And nations that, that, that you do not know will come running to you because of the Holy Lord your, your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. And achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. And the mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, may your word come out from your mouth. Accomplish what you desire. And achieve the purpose for which you send it. And may the word spoken here in the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come and buy and eat. Come, buy milk and wine. It, it's a great word. It's a great Advent word. Come, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But also these words in Isaiah of come. Advent, in fact, means, from the Latin, it means the coming. The coming. So come is the word for us. Christ coming to us, foretold by Isaiah time and time again. But much more than that, 
an invitation to us to come. Some of the translations translate this slightly differently and they use the word ho! Ho! Everyone who is thirsty. The idea really behind the Hebrew is that it's almost as if it were a street vendor standing outside a shop or his ware saying, come! Roll up! Come and get it! Come and see! Come and buy! Hey you! You get the idea? It's not at all sort of very holy religious language this. It's a general shouting invitation that invites you to come in. It's a good word for communion. As we are invited to come to the Lord's table. But that's not quite the sense of it. Because it's not really a proclamation to holy people that they might want to come a bit closer. It's more like a proclamation to the whole world that it can come. I wonder as you came into church this morning, you were greeted on the door. And if we got it right, you were given a good welcome. Churches don't always get it right. A good welcome. And that's good as far as it goes. But the thing is with a welcome, that it's actually saying to people who have already come, that it is well that they have come. Hence, welcome. But the image here is not of that at all. It's actually of somebody who's been put on the door duty, who's not standing in the vestibule saying, welcome, welcome, good to see you. But somebody who's actually gone out into the street and is saying to folk, come in, come in. This is for you. Come, roll up, get the satisfaction of your souls. Find what God has given and offered for you today. I wonder... When you're put on the door duties of the church, do you see that as your purpose? Because that is what it is all about. And that actually is a vision that we should have for everything that we do together as a congregation. That everything we do is facing outwards. You know, churches sometimes struggle with how welcoming they are. But actually, a missionary spirit, which we are supposed to have, isn't just about saying, it's good if folk come. It's about that sense of everything that we do, we are looking to see, how does this engage people? How does this encourage people to come and find what we have found? Not the beauty of the sanctuary, but the joy of the Lord. We had a a Christmas fete yesterday, and Alec was just, sharing how successful it was in financial terms. I think it was more successful, not just in financial terms. It was great to come in here and see folk gathering and enjoying and talking and being together. But here's my challenge. Because no matter how good things are, they can always be better. What if, before we have one next year, we really take some time to think, how do we take an event like that and engage a whole community? How do we advertise it and make it accessible that we can actually say to the folk that live in the streets around or are in shopping, we want you to come and be part of our friendship and fellowship in this place. I actually think we should be doing that with every activity we have. That's a missionary culture that starts to say, how do we say at the heart of what we're doing? Our Christmas celebrations this year, we've got all sorts of things that are planned. How do we say and make them about engaging with the community? One of the things we did last year was we had carol singing, not in here, but outside. Only last year, it was good, but we were in the side of the church, 
This year, because we've removed those chairs, those trees, rather, we're going to take it right to the front. And we're going to offer the mulled wine and the singing to the whole community. Now, it's little things like that that begins to say to change our whole understanding of what the gospel is. It's not that we're, we're, it's great when people come in and we've got some more members, but actually we've got something fantastic to share in the good news of the gospel in our midst. But who is it that's to come? Who is it that's to come? Come to the waters those who are thirsty and those that have no money. You know, two qualifications if you want to come. And the first is that you're thirsty. Now, I wonder how it would be if we went out onto the main street and said, if you're thirsty, come in here. I suspect a few folk would say, well, the railway tavern's next door and the drink's probably better there. I don't know, I've not sampled it. Some of you might be able to tell me. The refreshments might seem a little bit better in a public house than the communion wine. Maybe just a tad. Come if you're thirsty though, but here's the next part of it. Come if you've got no money. The qualification for coming is that you're broke. And I don't think if you went into the railway tavern and said, I want a drink but I'm broke, you would get very far. But here's what it means. This is an invitation to those who know that they're desperate. So if you come this morning thinking you've got it made and you don't really need anything, then you might as well just go home now because you're not welcome here. But if you come with a spiritual thirst, if you come with a sense that you're dried up, if you come with a sense that you're empty, that your life is unfulfilled, if you are dissatisfied with the normal, if you're looking forward to Christmas but there's a little bit inside you that knows somehow there's an itch within you that all those Christmassy things isn't going to scratch. And I think as we do come to Christmas season, as much as we like them, a lot of us are feeling that. Then come. And come if you're broke. Come if you know that you don't have the resources financially, mentally, spiritually, emotionally to meet that need. Come if you are desperate. You know, it's interesting that the only people excluded here, the only people that God says don't come, are those that are happy and satisfied and think life is brilliant and think they can do it themselves. And it's interesting when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus coming and bringing water to the thirsty and offering that water of life at the, at the well and, and that new life to people, the only people who turn away and don't want to know are those that think they've got it made are who? The religious folk. The folk that think that they have got it all sorted. And that should somehow slightly scare us. It's the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those who could not possibly be acceptable to God that are coming to Jesus. And those that are excluded are always the good, God-fearing, church-going, morally upright folk who think, it's all right for me. Do you find 
your spiritual life dissatisfying and do you yearn for something deeper? Do you find church going not enough? God says to you, come. Come. Next Sunday in the evening, we will have for Christmas our quiet service. And that quiet service is an opportunity for all of us, anyone who feels a need, a sense of loss at Christmas, a sense of things that somehow the baubles and the fairy lights don't touch for us, just to come and sit and look for the presence of God. And maybe that would be you that would come this week. Or maybe there's someone that you could say to, come, come with me next Sunday. Come buy and eat without money and without cost. Now, you read that and then you think, that's a bit crazy, isn't it? Come and buy, but it's free. What? You know, we're, we're so used to, 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 yeah, you have to pay for it. You go to a restaurant, you have to pay for everything. Or, 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 or perhaps you come to, to, to coffee after church and you don't expect to pay for it. But the idea that you come and buy something that's free just seems a little bit different. But what this is saying is this. What is on offer here is expensive. Exorbitantly expensive. It is literally priceless. And you cannot possibly afford it. But you are being lent God's credit card. Isaiah 55 follows on after Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 53, unsurprisingly, numeratically. But Isaiah 53 is that bit we looked at a few weeks ago where it talked about the servant that came and suffered and died and took our iniquities and our sins and our pains upon himself. And here Isaiah says to us, here is the result of that, that we can come to this which was so costly, to this which Jewish people knew needed a whole temple system and, and animals and sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. But here it is met and we are offered God's credit card. So come. That is why this is a feast and a celebration, but it is also a last supper as we remember what the Lord did for us. Come. Spend money for milk and wine. You know, we spend an awful lot of time, don't we, on things that are not satisfying. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struck sometimes by the effort that we put into planning the perfect holiday, which never ends up being quite perfect. Or the effort we spend thinking about the latest products that we want. Or the effort we spend getting the house just the way we want it. And yet, very often, the things which actually do satisfy, the spiritual things, we just brush aside and we do them when all it doesn't cost as much. And I sometimes think, even churches, we get this wrong. Why spend money on what is not bread and labor on what does not satisfy? You know, very, very often, even in church life, we come offering our labor. And we come maybe even offering our money. Because we can give something and that will be fine. And so if you ask for some volunteers to run a breakfast or you ask some volunteers to run a messy church, or you ask for people to do door duty, you can get folk. But when you say to people, 
Simply come that you might be fed and enriched. Oh, you don't need me then. You see what's happening? We're putting this relationship with God at the point of where I am needed, at where I can give, at where I can afford, at where I can spend, rather than simply coming and saying, I need you, Lord. It's one of the reasons why if we run a fundraising activity, we will get hundreds of people here. But if we offer a Bible study or a chance to pray, the numbers suddenly drop down. Why is that? One is asking you to work. The other is giving it away free. Because we somehow still have in our minds that our religion is transactional. I do something to merit something from God. I do something to feel included. I do something that I might feel significant. And this passage comes to us and says, no, I want you to come because you're thirsty. And I want you to come knowing that you're broke and that your labor and your work and your money and your effort aren't going to solve it. So come. One of the things we will need to look at as we go forward in the church is how do we put prayer and God's word really at the center of who we are and not just activity. But something else that's being offered here, not just water and milk, sorry, not just water, but wine and milk. You know, water is, is great. It's refreshing. It keeps you going. If you're on a marathon, not that I would have a clue what that is, somebody gives you a, a bit of water and you can go on for the next half mile or, or you have a glass of water, you're, you can keep preaching. But there's something about these other things that are important because milk doesn't just refresh you. It enables you to grow. And wine? <laughs> that just makes it fun. There's something about what God wants to. It's not just enough religion to keep you going. It's that you might grow and be transformed and be all that God wants you to be and that you might enjoy the wine of the kingdom. And right through these early verses of this passage, you will also hear another instruction. You will hear, listen, 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 seek, come and find Because what God is inviting us to do is to take the time to listen to Him, to spend time in His presence, to meditate on His Word. You know, I was uh, reading something the other day that was talking about a guy, and dads, you might know what I'm talking about, but family mealtimes got quite rushed because he was always busy. And if the children delayed him, he would get snappy. Because I need to get back to work and all the things that I'm doing. And at the end of one meal, his young daughter said to him, Daddy, I want to tell you something about my school day today. I'll tell you that he fast. And suddenly the father felt rebuked that his daughter was assuming that he, she wouldn't, he wouldn't have much time for her. And he said, No, dear. Why don't you sit down and tell me very slowly? And she turned to him and said, But Daddy, will you listen slowly? Will you listen slowly? Are we willing to take 
the time to listen to God. It's not fast food that's on offer. It's nourishing. It's that we might grow. The word that the Psalms use is they talk about God's word so often is the word meditate. Not just read. Not just grab a nice little verse and stick it on your Facebook page that will get you through the day. But to meditate, to steep in it. You know, we come sometimes only at one point a week and the Bible's open to us or it's on the screen and the, the preacher preaches and let's be honest, we're quite often doing that, aren't we? How long is this going to be? They, they do say that there's a short distance between a long sermon and a hostage situation where you're stuck there. But how much effort are we willing to put into listening to God? How does it compare to how much effort we put into planning that holiday? Or picking that wallpaper? Or the other things that we do to satisfy our life? I was reading this week of the story, you may have heard it, heard it of, of Mary Jones. Mary Jones lived in the 1780s. She was a poor Welsh weaver's daughter living in the rural sticks. And Mary Jones had one desire, and it was to read the Bible. So in an illiterate family, she managed to go to one of the wandering schools that was set up by a, a local preacher that she might learn to read. But in order to read the Bible, even once she'd learned to read, she had to walk two miles to a farmer who was the nearest person who owned a Bible in the Welsh language. Two miles. She wanted a Bible for herself. She wanted it so much she saved up for six years till she was 15. She decided she wanted to buy a Bible, but the nearest place to buy a Bible was 26 miles away, and she walked over the hills 26 miles barefoot to get a Bible from a preacher man who she heard had some. And she got there to find that they were all reserved and booked out by wealthy folk. So she opened her heart out and told him the story. And he decided that one of the wealthy folk could do without because she needed it greater. She went back. And the story of Mary Jones was an inspiration that led to a religious tract society, to gospel literature outreach, to a whole ministry and movement of getting the Bible into people's hands. And why did it transform Scotland and Wales and lots of other places? But now, we've got the Bibles on our shelves, and on our iPhones, and on our screens and everywhere. But have we got that desire to listen, to read, to soak ourselves in the Scripture that it might transform us? Because it's not just about words like water to get us through the day. It's about nourishment that begins to change how we think, how we see life, every part of it. I'm aware that Christians today are getting to all sorts of difficulties with the world standards because how are we getting our, 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 our worldview? And we're getting it through the media because we're spending hours every day on these things, social media, watching the news, reading the newspapers that give us non-Christian perspectives, two minutes Maybe reading a Bible and then we're thinking, where are we being shaped and fed? You know, the scripture begins to change us. In this passage, the word of God was coming to people who were living in exile. 
And everything around them, the reality around them was saying it's hopeless. Your city's been destroyed. Your kingship's been cut off. The line of David is gone. God's promises have been deserted. And you're now living in Babylon. Here comes the word of God and says, I want to give you a new reality. I want you to think about this differently because my promises are true and I will keep my promises even to the line of David. It's a word to change us. Let the wicked, by the way, that's us, forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Now here is one of the thoughts of this passage which says, That God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are a whole different way of thinking. But so often we come with our thoughts, our assumptions, our cultural values, and we simply say, God needs to agree with them. I can't believe in a God who doesn't share the outlook that we have today in our society. The scripture says something else. It says, come, come and listen. Come and give up your own thoughts and your own world shaping you with its materialistic assumptions and enter into what your Creator thinks Himself. The strange, shaped world of the Bible. Drink it in until it overflows and informs and reforms you. Verse 10 of this passage says something that at one level is strange. It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. See, here is the idea that if we listen to God's word, if we preach God's word faithfully, if we read God's word together, then we can trust God's word to start changing lives and changing communities and changing societies. God has invested in communicating to us in Jesus Christ and giving us the written scriptures that we might be transformed. And so we can trust them. And it says here that it will give food for the eater and seed for the sower. Bread for the eater and seed for the sower. Now here's the thing. In our modern world, we think of these two as different people, don't we? So we are bread And over there are one or two people who work in farming who sow seed and do crops and harvest crops and make bread and put in Tesco for us. How many folk are involved in the farming part of that? Anybody here? No. If I looked around, there's maybe one or two of you who will say, well, I was a farmer's daughter or, or whatever. I've got some understanding of that. And so that demarcation between eating and sowing. And we do the same as we think of the Word of God. We think about all of us as needing God's Word, reading God's Word, but there's only one or two people who are supposed to be sowing it. The minister, or the evangelist, or one or two keen folk in the church, not the rest of us. But here's the thing. This passage was written to an agrarian society. Most of the folk lived in their croft, or farmed their field. Almost everybody, if I'd gone to a synagogue or a church or wherever in in, in most of human history and said, how many of you work on the land, most hands would have gone up. There were no steelworks or factories or anything else like that. There was only the agrarian economy. And what that meant was when the harvest came in, it came in to do two things at one time. To provide bread for the eaters, that's everybody, and seed 
for the sowers to sow so that there would be more bread in the future. And guess how many folk were involved in that? Pretty much everybody. You see, the two things come together. To receive God's word is also to share it. It is to be sowing for a new generation. That's why if we want a church that's engaged in mission, that's genuinely saying we're excited by what we have and we want to share it and we want to say come to our community, it needs to be the whole ethos of the church. We don't have a mission committee in a church. Everything is about sharing the good news. Bread for the eater and seed for the sower and I am the eater and I am the sower and so are you. And that is what is envisaged here that we may share. We come, of course, at Advent because He came. Because the one who came to suffer and die for us invites us to come. That's why this table both is an invitation to come but also a remembrance of the one that came. And the end of the Bible, it reflects Isaiah 55 when it says these words, The Spirit And the bride say, come. Let the one who hears, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We come, we invite to come. We are received because Christ, has come and it is all dependent on him.